You're listening to our weekly podcast, Getting in the Word with Stuart Guthrie. Stuart is the teaching pastor of Family Bible Fellowship of Ridgeville in Early Branch, South Carolina. We hope to grow together with you, seeking real knowledge from the truth, the Word of God. Here's Stuart. As I thought about this passage of Scripture, have we wondered why? Why in this day and age there are so many broken relationships? Why there are so many sharp disagreements within the body of Christ? And that's not necessarily specific to our church as much as I'm speaking in general terms as the body of Christ, the church, the universal church of God. You know many people in this church and out of this church who are part of other congregations and other ministries, and there is a reality that they that we are living in a day when there is much broken relationships within the body of Christ. These ruffled relationships are nothing uncommon. In the church age for which we live today, and I believe that as we approach the last of the last days, that there will be an increase in this. The, the, the enemy will do everything he can to invade the church to cause conflict, confusion, and chaos. You say, well, why? Well, the Scripture says in 1 Timothy chapter 3, 1-5, but realize this, in the last days, difficult times will come. Why? Will difficult times come? Notice the attributes that, 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 that arise now in verse 2. For men will be lovers of self. Listen, it, it only takes a moment to, to, to encounter men and women who are lovers of self to see the ability of controversy. Lovers of money. Boastful. Arrogant. Revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they deny its power, lovers of self, prideful and out of control. Those will rise, those attitudes, those attributes will rise as the day approaches. And because those attitudes will arise many times from within the body of Christ, there will be conflict. There will be controversy. These fleshly attributes, listen, while they are not the lifestyle of Christians... Right? We are a new creation in Christ. The old things have passed away. Behold, the new have come. While these are not lifestyles, they are certainly temptations and common failures for which believers find themselves working through time to time. Have you ever been a lover of self? Have you ever been a lover of money? Boastful? Arrogant? How about young people disobedient to parents? Ungrateful? I mean, let these settle into our Christian minds for a minute. And ask ourselves the question, do we sometimes obtain these attributes? One of, one of my objectives in the pulpit is to create the problem. The text brings about a problem. Now, while this text has nothing to do with Acts chapter 15, what I'm trying to communicate is out of Acts chapter 15, if we are not careful, these attitudes will invade our hearts, causing conflict within the body of Christ here in our local church and churches beyond this church. Yes, we're sometimes these things. Again, it's not a lifestyle. 
We're not stuck in those. And if we are, we're living in habitual sin. And if we can live in habitual sin without any repentance, about without any change, then we ought to question whether we're truly born again from above. Because when we exemplify these deeds of the flesh, so to speak, they ought to pierce our hearts. And, and we ought to say, how dare I be lover of self? How dare I think more highly of myself than I ought to think? How dare I become so boastful and prideful to think more highly of myself than I should? When these kinds of attitudes arise, they can cause ruffled, broken, even destroyed relationships. And thus we always need the reminder of forgiveness and for grace. You see, if grace and forgiveness are our priorities as believers, when I, when you, when y'all exemplify the deeds of the flesh, if everybody's priority is forgiveness and grace then we ought to be able to respond well, shouldn't we? And we ought to be able to repent and say, God, I am sorry that I have exemplified the deeds of the flesh. That I have lived out that which was designed not for me as a believer, transformed by the renewing of the Spirit of God. We have to acknowledge those things in our lives. Because when we acknowledge them, then we have to go to God with them and ask God to forgive us. So that we can walk in freedom, rather being a slave to sin. Our passage today, we have the Apostle Paul, one of my favorite characters in all of the Bible. One whom should encourage us, should challenge us, because when we, even though he is not our standard, he's a tough one to follow, isn't he? Jesus is our standard, which is even more impossible. Paul was an apostle who was personally appointed by Christ. And if you remember that, we see that event unfold in Acts chapter 26. We see it before that, but specifically one that always comes to my reminder because I memorized the chapter 26 of Acts some years ago. I'm reminded of Paul's experience on the road to Damascus in which Jesus appeared to him as bright as a light. And he said, I'm sending you what? To the Gentiles to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God and they can receive forgiveness for their sins who are set apart by faith in me, Jesus says. So he is God's man. Stand up, he said. I have appeared to you to appoint you as my servant and my witness. And here in the text with Paul, we have a man by the name of Barnabas. A Levite. Who, who sought Paul's help as his associate in the mission to the Gentiles. Both men, brothers, generous hearts, desire for ministry, both called to go and to in, in impact the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was in Acts chapter 13, prior to our text this morning, in which we are told that Paul and Barnabas were serving the Lord. Notice what it says here in Acts 13, verses 2 and 3. While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. As in the call of God to the work of ministry is a call in which the Spirit of God lays on the hearts of individuals. 
Now, I don't know about you, what God has called you to do, but I think that we forget about the Spirit of God working in the hearts of people, drawing men and women to Himself, pointing them to certain events and activities by which God has called them to. And here, these two men were called by the Spirit of God for a specific task. Then, verse 3, when they had fasted and prayed and laid hand their hands on them, they sent them away. This was not a personal revelation by which Paul and Barnabas had been revealed. This was through the church by which the Spirit of God revealed to the leaders of the churches the call by which Paul and Barnabas were called to. These two men, by the leading of the Holy Spirit, in connection to the church, we're called together to preach the gospel. There was a book some time ago written, The Forgotten God. We don't talk much about the Spirit of God, the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives, but He is part of the triune Godhead. Complete deity, absolute equality, and absolute necessity for the believer to live out the victorious Christian life and to be about the business by which God has called you. So these two men, led by the Spirit of God, were called to do the work of the gospel. Now the first missionary journey by which Paul and Barnabas were on was extremely successful. And if you go back and you begin in Acts chapter 13 and you begin to map out, you, you begin to see the routes and the, the activities that took place over a long period of time in which they ministered together as they traveled throughout Asia to reach people with the gospel. Paul and Barnabas experienced significant challenges while they were on these journeys. This wasn't, you know, a cakewalk ministry. They didn't have an airplane to get on and puddle jump over to, you know, these different islands. Cyprus, for example, where they began. You know, they had to get on a ship and board and carry over no matter what. They didn't have the weather channel to figure out whether there was a storm on the horizon or not. But they experienced many challenges on this first missionary journey. And we're told that because of their faithfulness, because of the ministry which the Spirit of God had called them to, that many followed Christ. Because of the faithful proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Jew and to the Gentile. Paul and Barnabas had seen the work of God. They had been heavily persecuted for the sake of the gospel. And if you recall, Paul had even been stoned, I believe it was in Lystra, and left for dead. Yet gets up, goes right back in and proclaims the gospel. Though after he recovered, they still worked together. These men spent many years together and become trustworthy colleagues. You could call them partners together for the gospel. They had true companionship with trust, guarding one another, supporting one another. It was a great picture of what we consider partnership. Being engaged and making sacrifices together for the sake of one purpose, being of unified minds to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to the world. It's what one looks for in ministry partnership. These men had defended the gospel together. 
They had defended the gospel at the Council of Jerusalem together. They had endured alongside of each other. And in Acts chapter 15, verse 35, we are told that Paul and Barnabas, they stayed in this place called Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others as well. Bottom line is these guys were close friends. They were true, genuine brothers in Christ. Both Spirit-filled believers working together in unity for the Gospel's sake. Sent by the Spirit of God through the church. But something is about to happen that's going to change the direction of that partnership. You say, you sure did spend a lot of time on an introduction. Yes, I did, because I want you to understand these men were together and they had a great relationship. But something's about to happen. Paul and Barnabas are there in Antioch, teaching, witnessing, for Christ doing the ministry as, as we are told after some days in verse 36. Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaim the word of the Lord. There's a passion, isn't there? There's a passion for the people. There is a priority of the message. Their passion was that as partners in the gospel, they cared about those whom they ministered to. So Paul says, let's go back. Listen, we spent all of this time traveling across the ocean to this island and across the ocean again back into Asia Mount, and then we swooped around and headed east and we had every city. And then when we finished there, we returned. Now let's go back again and encourage them. And a priority for the people. But there was a priority for the proclamation of the Word of God. Their work first, I want you to notice, was the proclamation of the Word of God. Let us return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaim the Word of God. Notice what it does not say. It does not say, let us return and visit the brothers in every city in which we gave social services to them. They, they weren't there to do social reform. They, they weren't there to give gifts, presents, and other social needs. They were there for one reason, and that was to preach the Word of God. Why is that important? Because I don't care how many presents, gifts, food, housing, all of those things that we do, none of those will ever change the heart of people. If anything, it hinders and robs the truth of the Gospel. Because we have the greatest gift. We, we have the most fabulous and amazing gift to ever offer the world. The problem is, in a world of social gospel, it takes the back seat and the items become that which is intentional. It should always be gospel number one. And then... Those other things. But the priority is the Word of God. Why? Because salvation comes by hearing, hearing the Word of God. And the world wants to sell us a bill that if we are going to earn the privilege of investing the gospel, then we must do these things. That, my friends, is heresy. You don't have to do those things to give the hope of the gospel. 
as if, as if our gifts and our ministry of social services open the door to heaven and allow the gospel to penetrate their heart. No, there is a sovereign God in heaven who is over the salvation of mankind. It is our job to be faithful in the proclamation of the Word of God and trust Him who is able to seek and to save that which is lost through us, the venue and the message of the gospel. They had a priority. It was the Word of God. Let us never lose sight of the priority of the Word of God. I love this church because the Word is priority. It is priority. But know this, as time progresses, my friends, the, the challenge will be to keep that the priority. Because when people don't pray to receive Christ, when people don't receive the gospel and be baptized, it bothers us, doesn't it? And what every liberal church began with is creating some fictitious facade to get people by becoming seeker-friendly. Our job as a church is not to be seeker-friendly. Our job is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Every one of you are called to do the ministry. Whatever that looks like between you and God and the Word of God and the, and the guiding of the Spirit of God in your life. And a priority... A passion for the people and a priority for the Word. It was to grant them the greatest gift of all, and that was the gift of salvation. It was a desire to keep an eye on the work that had been done. It would be great to go back and evaluate how things are going in the local bodies in which the churches that had been planted and the ministries that had been arisen, let's go check on them and make sure they're doing okay. Let's, let's make sure that they're still remaining faithful in sound doctrine. Because not every missionary, not every ministry that you once supported is still sound. As we know that to be true in our day. So we have to make sure, like them, that we keep track. We check on those. Make sure they haven't been invaded by false teachers. Paul directs here yet a second missionary journey. Or you could say a long-term missions trip. And we're told that a serious disagreement arises. What in the world? What kind of disagreement could arise between Paul and Barnabas? Two, two brothers in Christ filled with the Spirit of God. Been called by the Holy Spirit in the church to do many. What, what, what could possibly go wrong? Well, guess what? Paul and Barnabas are just like you and me. They're human. They have this thing called flesh. They sometimes fall into what we had already looked at. Those fleshly lifestyles. The text simply says there was a sharp dispute that had arisen. Acts chapter 15, 37, beginning there, Barnabas wanted to take John, called Mark, along with them. But verse 38 says, Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along whom had deserted them in Pamphylia and who had not gone with them to the work. And there occurred a, such a sharp disagreement. Now, if you start in Acts chapter 13, and you read to Acts chapter 15, verse 37, you're going to ask the question, where did this come from? What? There's no sign of this in Paul up until this point. There's no hint of, even when it took place, there was never a word spoken about it. 
The word used here in the Greek translated as disagreement means to, to provoke to anger. And this is a, an ongoing dispute. Notice it says, but Paul kept insisting. And when you, when you look up the Greek word insisting, it, 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 it gives the idea that this, it wasn't from a heart of disdain necessarily for Mark. It was, it was more protection. It, it was thought to be wise not to take Mark along. But obviously, Barnabas didn't think so. And so Paul, the apostle, kept insisting that they should not take him along. Because why? He had deserted them in Pamphylia. Again, up until now, I don't think we would have known that Paul was carrying this burden. We had not been privy to the information, at least it's not been public, flip over to Acts chapter 13. They began to proclaim the Word, verse 5, in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had also had John as their helper. When they had gone through the whole island, they found this magician. Remember this? They call him out. They name his heresy. And they say, you're a false teacher. And because you're a false teacher, you're going to be blinded for a season. Verse 10, you are full of all deceit and fraud. You son of the devil. You enemy of all righteousness. Will you not cease to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord? Now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you. And you will be blind and not see the sun for some time. And immediately a mist, a, a, a darkness fell upon him. And he went about seeking those who would lead him by the hand. You want to teach false doctrine? There you go. You might end up blind being led by, led by others. We don't want to go down that road, do we? Then the proconsul believed when they saw what had happened, being amazed at the teaching of the Lord. Now Paul and his companions set out to see. But notice what it says. But John left them and returned to Jerusalem. Now, But going on from Perga, they arrived in Pisidian and Antioch, and Sabbath day went into the synagogues and sat down. And after reading the law and the prophets in the synagogues, all officials sent them, saying, Brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say it. Paul stood up and motioning with his hand, Men of Israel, there's no mention, is there, of this disdain because Mark leaves them. John, John Mark. No, we're not privy of that until now. And so he thinks it's best to not take John Mark. Now Barnabas wanted him to go with them on this second missionary journey. But here's the kicker. Because I have to ask the question, if Paul is the apostle, Barnabas is the helper, Barnabas ought to submit to the apostle. Makes sense to me. But Barnabas has a disagreement. And I have to ask, why is he so passionate about John? Well, we know that if we take all Scripture, sometimes grants us a little bit more clarity, but when we come to Colossians chapter 4, Verse 10, we learn that John Mark is Barnabas' cousin. It's a kinfolk. Thus, I believe we can understand the desire of Barnabas to bring along with him Paul and John Mark. 
But Paul doesn't share the same sentiment as Barnabas does in relation to John Mark's partnership on this second missionary journey. Thus Paul refused to have him join them. And the reason was is because Mark had deserted them. He left. Which we see in Acts 13, 13, which we just read. What we find taking place here is the beginnings of a ruffled relationship between two brothers in Christ. Paul wanted to go and return and visit his brothers and sisters in every city in which they had proclaimed the Word of God and see how they were doing. But the first trip in which they traveled came with many challenges and struggles and persecutions. And thus, we know the same would follow that missionary journey most likely. It was certainly a work that was needed. It was... What an encouragement it would have been to have those that were in the faith, to have a visit by the ones who shared the gospel with them. Listen, I'm always encouraged in my life to go back to Dr. Carl Poole, who was a pastor at Ridgeland Baptist Church in 2001 when he shared the gospel with me and I became a believer. And every chance I get and I travel up through that area, I call him on the phone and say, Brother, let's have lunch. I'm always so encouraged. What a great work it would have been. It was a good work indeed that Paul desired to do with his partner Barnabas. But Paul believed that they should not take with them this man who had deserted them, who did not, see the need for His help on this trip. Know this. Partnership, ministry, whatever you want to call it, breeds trust. And when trust is broken, it can be hard to work together with someone that has lost your confidence. Think about the last years of these two men's lives and how they risked their lives together, fought for the faith together. Listen, when you're being stoned and left for dead and you're having to fight for your life, when someone walks out on you, listen, I don't care who they are, it's hard to have trust in them, to have your back when things get hard. That never leaves your mind. John Mark left. Paul didn't think he deserved to be on the trip. Listen, when there is a lack of commitment, when there is a falling off of partnership, meaning that there is no, not longer a shared investment, meaning that, that, that one isn't willing to sacrifice, you could say. John Mark wasn't ultimately willing to pull his weight and continue on the work which God had called them to. And the reality is the trust was lost. Partnership demands trust. Demands faithfulness. Doesn't mean you will always do that, but when that is broken, you, you mend that. You, you, you come together and you work through that. His trust for John Mark is gone and he didn't want him to be in the trenches with him. Because they couldn't agree. The text says there is a sharp disagreement. How does that relate to us? There is a reality in church life. People leave. Right? That, I mean, that's just reality, right? People leave. They, they leave most of the time poorly. And they leave for unbiblical reasons. And sometimes people leave well and they leave with biblical reasons. We, we need to add in, in our church handbook a session on leaving well because there may be a reality in which God calls you somewhere else. 
But if you're offended by somebody because they were mean to you or whatever, and you just say, oh, I'm not going to that church, guess what? You're fixing to go over there with the same kind of people. There is no church, perfect church. And if it is perfect, when you get there, it will be no longer. People leave. People get frustrated. People get fearful. People walk away. People lack faith, lack commitment. In all of my years as a pastor, this has been a reality. They join the church. They agree to be committed to the mission statement and hold fast to the bylaws. But the truth is, not everyone will remain. Not everyone will be in the trenches when the bullets start flying. And maybe, just maybe, there are some you would rather have in the trenches with you when you know bullets will fly. And if I've learned anything in this life as a believer, when you are a church who preaches the Word of God, there will be bullets that fly. If we have to do ministry together in the trenches, trusting one another, protecting one another, honoring one another. That doesn't mean some disagreements may not arise. If you think you're going to be in a church and there's never a disagreement, I'm, I'm sorry, you, I don't know who told you that, but they lied. Because all of us are human and all of us are in the flesh and all of us at some point or another don't eat lunch or dinner or breakfast and somebody going to make you mad. Let me, let me tell you how it works. See, you was fine when you woke up this morning because your wife made you breakfast or your husband, whatever the case, you ate. Your belly was full, but something took place on the way into church. Somebody wasn't in a rush. And that car in front of you was going 40 miles an hour in a 55 mile an hour speed limit. There's three things that this world needs. They need Jesus, slow people need to be in the right lane, and you at least need to do the speed limit. But some may be, be, be so aggravated because their, their sanctification went out the window and now they show up to church and they ain't quite recovered yet. And the coffee ain't like it was supposed to be or the, the creamer you were interested in wasn't in the cupboard or, or there was no ketchup when the steak was served. We have three bottles in there. We're good, okay? Or, or the, um, it's hot in here, isn't it? Or, or it's cold in here. And, and it frustrates me. Listen, when, when, when the flash rises, it just takes a little bit of something to get you discouraged. And I'm here to tell you, it will happen, my friends. And if you can't bank on that, and if you can't understand how to handle that situation, then you're going to be discouraged. A strong disagreement. Here's what I learned from Paul and Barnabas. Here's what I learned from their disagreement. No matter the disagreement, among the body of Christ, among brothers and sisters who have believed the gospel for salvation alone, The work must still be done. You hear that? The work must still be done. The show must go on, if you want to say it that way. Paul wasn't going to have John Mark along on this journey. Barnabas didn't agree with Paul, and the personal family relationship surely could have escalated the issue. But regardless, the work must continue. So when we come... To verse 39, there occurred a sharp disagreement that they separated from each other. They separated from one another. Listen, here's the reality. Sometimes Christians separate from one another. 
We've been here for six years. We've seen people separate from us. And sometimes they don't separate well. And they try to get people to go along with them. And sometimes that does find itself to be the case. But know this. Even though they separated, the work went on. Because they were both godly men. They were both filled with the Spirit of God. But sometimes when trust is broken, separation is the only option for the gospel to be proclaimed healthy. The text says they separated. The partnership was severed because of a disagreement that was caused. A ruffled relationship. Barnabas and Mark were told here in the text, and Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. They head towards Cyprus to preach, teach, and evangelize the folks for the gospel. You don't want to do ministry with Mark, Paul? Okay. We'll go our own way and do ministry. I'm not saying this was the right response. I think Barnabas should, should have submitted to his partner's leadership because that was an apostolic error in which God had appointed him as a possible Barnabas as a worker. And we're not told they ever did ministry again together. Now we do learn that there is a reconciliation between, I believe, Barnabas and Paul and also John Mark who became very involved in the latter days of Paul, who encouraged him to come visit him. Verse 40 and 41, we're told, but Paul chose Silas and left. Notice the phrase here, being committed by the brethren. Paul is supported by the church. We're not told Barnabas was. I believe Barnabas went off on his own. But Paul, on the other hand, Paul chose Silas and left, being committed to the brethren, to the grace of the Lord. And the verse 41 says, And he was traveling through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Paul was moving forward with a task that he felt the Lord had put on his heart to encourage every believer in every city which they had proclaimed the Word of God. To check up on those ministries, and Barnabas as well remained faithful. What's interesting is Barnabas, we're told, goes to Cyprus. Where did the first missionary journey begin? In Cyprus. So Barnabas goes based off of what Paul had encouraged to start encouraging the believers as they did the first trip. Paul and Silas, on the other hand, here's what's interesting. The devil thought he won. The devil thought he had broken up these two men and it hindered the gospel. But let me tell you, that's not the case. Because while Barnabas and John Mark go west, you could say, to, to Cyprus, Paul and Silas go north. And what we see is what we could consider a bookend of gospel ministry. Barnabas and John Mark begin up Cyprus and around, and, and Paul and Silas begin to go north, and they begin at where they ended. And so they are doing the same work headed back towards each other. What the devil meant for evil, God used for a double proclamation of the gospel. Double encouragement to the saints in those places. Here's the truth, I think, what we can glean from these passages. Listen, we are one body in Christ. And individually members of another. I, I understand we can get localized and we can think about family Bible fellowship, but I'm talking about 
the universal body of Christ. When we say the church, we're not talking about this building. We're talking about the people within the building. But the people within this building are not the only people in the building. There are many, 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 many people all across the globe who are part of the body of Christ. And we are individually members of one another. No matter the disagreements that may arise among one another, no matter the lack of trust that may come about through the time of ministry in which God has called you to, no matter the cracked relationships that may you encounter in the church, we are responsible for filling the ministry that God has called us to. We have to be like Paul and Barnabas. You don't have to agree, agree to disagree. That's okay. You ever work with somebody you agree to disagree with on, but yet you're unified in one thing, therefore you press on? No matter what cracked relationships we have on the, the church, we, we have to remain faithful and steadfast to the work that we've been called to. We have to be like them, faithfully preaching the gospel, encouraging believers, no matter how much we disagree with one another. Yes, they had a sharp disagreement. Yet their conflict did not hinder the work of the gospel. When your conflict, listen to me very clearly, when your conflict with someone in the household of God causes the gospel to be hindered, you're out of fellowship, my friend. When, when that relational, ruffled relationship takes place and you set yourself alone and by yourself and you are not part of a gospel work, you're in the wrong, my friend. See, sometimes we have to put our feelings to the side for the sake of the gospel. And sometimes when the disagreements arise and they're so big, maybe you just need to go on so you can go to another church and get invested and still do gospel ministry and watch God be glorified. But I pray you would reconcile that relationship. These two were faithful brothers in the Lord who had a sharp disagreement, yet the work was not hindered. So we have to ask ourselves the question, What is hindering you? What is hindering your desire? What is hindering your call and your passion and your need to proclaim Christ and Him crucified to a world that desperately needs Him? Listen, there is a reality. You may not agree on every level with individuals, but we can agree the body of Christ And the gospel must go forth. The church must be encouraged. The word must be preached. Because we're all on the same team. Every single one of us. There may be no conflicts. Praise God. But I believe as we approach the last of the last days, there will be an increase in conflicts. So we have to be on the lookout, don't we? We have to be on the offense to make sure that if there are conflicts, we are the bigger persons and willing to go and ask the question, what have I done to offend you? I'll, I'll take the blame. It's my fault. What, what did I do to hurt you? What did I do to offend you? Because it's very possible that each one of us are able to do that. Our goal should be the same. Matthew 28, 19-20 says, Go therefore and what? Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. We've been given a mandate by the Lord Jesus Christ, whom says all authority has been given to me on heaven and earth. Go therefore. Now listen, I understand that the church's responsibility is to be trained and equipped for the saints for the work of the ministry. 
This is not necessarily the place where evangelism is key. No, discipleship is key. Training is key. The, the, the doctrine is key. Theology is key. Because sound doctrine, sound theology will permeate out of the doors into a world with the necessity of the gospel. We've been given a mandate by Christ. We're called to work. We're called to invest. We're called to be involved, to teach sound doctrine. To proclaim Jesus to the lost and die in the world without Christ, for whom they will be eternally separated in hell. So, hey, disagreements will come. Don't, don't, don't hang on to those. Be a grown man and woman and address those issues because you care about the unity of the body of Christ. I believe, maybe I'm completely wrong, that most conflicts take place here, not here. The conflicts are because you in your mind have thought up some pretty evil stuff about so-and-so and so-and-so, and and therefore this conflict continues to grow. And then when you finally get together and you sit down, you realize, whoops, I was mistaken the whole time. So when your brother or sister sins against him, you go to him. Because it will happen. Or you can isolate yourself like Jonah. You can be the pouting prophet and you can go off by yourself and you can be miserable for the rest of your life. I just refuse to do that. But, but I think there are many miserable Christians because they have never addressed the issue at hand. And if we're not careful, we'll all allow ourselves to become miserable because of something pretty silly. Something that is of temporal value. To disregard that which is eternal. So yes, they will arise. But Paul and Barnabas, we can learn from them. They continued the work. And in the end, it doubled the impact for the gospel. They went their way, Paul, to the north, Barnabas to the west, and the result was accomplished for the glory of God, even in the face of a ruffled relationship. Maybe it is time we are reminded of our broken relationships with God because of sin and our need for repentance, our need to receive forgiveness, to ask for forgiveness. Listen, Christ paid it all on Calvary, my friends. That you might have life and that you might have life abundantly. The Bible says believe. Be saved and be on mission for Jesus Christ. Maybe you've had a disagreement with a brother or sister in your mind that's filled with all these self-invented stuff that's causing you much pain and disregard. Stop it. Go to that brother or sister, meet with them, work it out. Paul and Barnabas continue to depend on God in their ministries. They progressed forward peacefully, even though it meant parting ways. In matters of opinion, this is interesting, in matters of opinion, Paul and Barnabas differed. But in matters of doctrine, They saw the necessity of sharing the good news and the gospel with the world. They were united in what was truly important. God may not always have you here, but wherever He has you, make sure that on matters of doctrine you stand firm. In matters of personal opinion, It's just that. It's your personal opinion. It's my personal opinion. Be the more humble person in that matter. I want to leave you with this reminder from God's Word as you may find yourself in a disagreement. I want you to see that God expects you to be a forgiven person. Because why? Because He has forgiven you. Psalm 103, 8-12, listen to what it says. The Lord is compassionate. And He's gracious. 
Praise God, eh? He, he's slow to anger. And abounding in loving kindness. He will not always strive with us, nor will He keep His anger forever. One day He will pour out His retributions, my friends. Verse 10, He has not dealt with us according to our sins. Amen. Nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. Amen. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is the loving kindness towards those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. If God is this way towards you, how much more ought we be toward one another? God made forgiveness available to us by His work on Calvary so that we could be reconciled to God, that, that, that we could be made right. But in order for the forgiveness to do the work of reconciliation, it must be received. It must be received. Just as not everyone is reconciled to God, not everyone receives His forgiveness. Although the cross is sufficient for all, it's only efficient to those who place their faith in Jesus Christ. And so I don't expect those who have never bowed the knee to Christ and received the, the forgiveness of their sins and been reconciled by God to ever give and to forgive others. But for those who are under the, the reconciliation of Almighty God by His grace and by His mercy, not by any means or method of our own, but only because He's a good God for a wicked man like me to be saved and redeemed and reconciled, how much more ought ought to do that to others. How much more ought you to do that for one another? Listen, you can offer forgiveness, but you can't make people receive it. And so I always tell those walking through those situations, as far as it depends on you, my friend, be at peace with all people. Here's the beauty of walking in absolute forgiveness of people. There is not a night my head goes onto my pillow that I am worried that I have an enemy. There is no greater joy than that, my friends. And if you're carrying a burden of unforgiveness in your life, your head will not hit the pillow so well. Oh, you might sleep just because you wore out, but your spirit will not carry peace and joy of the Lord. But when you have forgiven those who have offended you, there's no greater joy than to walk in knowing I have nothing against my brother or my sister. When you forgive and others don't receive that forgiveness, they will be the ones that struggle. When they fail to accept that forgiveness, they will be the ones struggling. Oh, the ruffled relationships will happen, my friends. And forgiveness is vital to the restoration of those relationships. So, I want you to consider in your own life, what, whom, have you a ruffled relationship with in which you need to walk in forgiveness in the grace of God? Because Christ has forgiven you and me, how much more we ought to forgive. Matthew 18.35, My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. Matthew 6.14-15, and 15, For if you forgive others of their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. That's scary. 
Ephesians 4, 32, 30, 31 to 32, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, outcry, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and tenderhearted to one another. Forgive each other, just as Christ, God forgave you. Colossians 3, <coughs> verse 12, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, clothe yourself with hearts of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with one another and forgive any complaint you have against someone else. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. Amen. Let's pray. This has been Getting in the Word with Pastor Stuart Guthrie. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. And be sure to visit us online at familybiblefellowship.org. And come see us in person on Sundays at 11 a.m.